Kia ora and welcome to my daily chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is a podcast I put out with an email newsletter daily. The newsletter is called The Kaka and it goes out via Substack with the podcast attached for paying subscribers. I focus on three things in Aotearoa's political economy. Housing affordability, climate change and poverty reduction. I have this view that housing is at the root of most of our problems. The housing theory of everything. And increasingly, I'm convinced of this view that the incredibly high cost of housing in this country is causing so much grief in so many places. This week we got a report out from the Energy Hardship Experts Group. It wasn't published by the Minister or by the Department. It sort of fell out through the system. Uh, Partly through an accident of history. uh, But mostly because of the frustration of people involved in the energy hardship sector at the lack of progress in making electricity more affordable. But in reading this 132-page report, which came out today, it came out on Wednesday after an Official Information Act request to see the report, which had been submitted to the Minister in July, We found all sorts of stories of energy hardship which were very much connected to housing hardship. Not only is the rent too high, but the quality is too low. So that many homes, private rentals, and in the past, Kainga order rentals, were not well insulated, they were damp, they were cold, they were mouldy, and that meant they were really expensive to heat. And because the rents were so high, people often had bad credit and couldn't access post-pay electricity. Often that meant they had to get prepay electricity. What completely shocked me about the detail in this report is that there is no measurement of how many people are on prepay collectively across the industry. There is no measurement of how many people have been cut off from prepay There is no accountability for people in the electricity retailing sector about the enormous hardship being disconnected from electricity means. There are regular stories about people sleeping in homes where the power had been turned off, either voluntarily or involuntarily, simply because people couldn't afford to pay for it, or in many cases because they had bad credit. This is absolutely extraordinary. Hundreds of millions of dollars in dividends are being paid to the government from gentailers who are doing this day in and day out to tens of thousands of people. This hardship report shows there are 300,000 people in New Zealand living in energy hardship. That means they are either having to reduce the amount of energy they use to ensure that they can afford it or they're being cut off. And this means that we have tens of thousands of kids getting sick 
going to hospital, spending nights in hospital, at thousands of dollars a night in hospital, dying. 229 children a year die of preventable chest infections and other illnesses caused by poor heating and poor quality housing in this country. Overall, the health costs from this poor quality housing and inaffordable electricity is well over $1.1 billion. That's on top of the $5.5 billion the government currently spends on all sorts of housing subsidies. Firstly, the income-related rent subsidies that are paid indirectly through Kainga Ora. Then there's the $2.5 billion worth of accommodation supplements paid indirectly to private landlords for people who can't afford their rent. Then there's the $400 million or so paid to, to people buying their first homes as first home buyer grants. Then there's the $500 million in winter energy payments. Not solving our housing and energy poverty crises cost taxpayers $6.6 billion per year at the moment. You often hear from people who are opposed to reforms of the housing sector, reforms of the tax system, reforms to the electricity system, that New Zealand can't afford the sorts of measures that are being talked about, including, for example, some sort of tax on wealth or a tax on land or uh, reforms to the electricity system, which would mean that dividends to shareholders, and mostly the government, are reduced, or that hundreds of millions of dollars extra are spent insulating and uh, properly uh, heating and retrofitting our homes. The argument is we simply can't afford it. Actually, we can't afford not to do it. Not only are those there those identified $6.6 billion, which if you fix the problem, the government wouldn't have to spend, taxpayers wouldn't have to spend, and maybe they'd actually get some extra tax cuts if they didn't spend that $6.6 billion. But then there's the enormous benefits in well-being, in health, in productivity. For example, there are hundreds of thousands of kids in South and West Auckland alone, let alone other countries, other, other major cities and areas in Aotearoa, who are bounced from private landlord and rental to private landlord and rental, who therefore are not settled in where they go to school. More than 50% of the kids in South Auckland schools go through more than three schools before the age of 10. How are those people and those families supposed to grow up healthy and strong and be able to work and participate and enjoy life when their parents are so stressed financially and otherwise they can't afford the power? Where there are cardboard boxes over the broken windows? Where in the middle of winter you dread getting a chest infection and pneumonia, which you might die of because you can't afford power. In a country that produces $400 billion worth of GDP every year.
time now to hear from Kerry Brown, the chair of the Energy Hardship Experts Panel, which produced this report. Have a listen to this interview that I did on Thursday. Thank you to the subscribers to the Kaka for letting me do this work, helping to support this work and make sure it's going out into the public. Kakita now. Let's hear from Kerry. Well, kia ora, and welcome to the Kaka, Kerry Brown, who is uh, not only a councillor at Hutt City Council, she's the chair of the Energy Hardship Expert Panel, which has produced a report called Energy Hardship, The Challenges and Way Forward, a report to the Minister. Kerry, great to have you on the Kaka, lovely to see you. Kia ora Bernard, uh, thank you for inviting me on and, and to talk about the report that, that we worked on for two years, so really um, looking forward to sharing some insights with you. Yeah, could you um, just set the scene for our listeners on uh, what the Energy Hardship Expert Panel was and why it's written its report? Mm. Yeah, well, back in um, 2021, there was a electricity price review when when the um, the current government, the outgoing government, came in. They wanted to review the energy sector, and so they conducted an energy price review. And uh, one of their recommendations was to set up uh, an expert, independent expert panel to look at. Uh, specifically look at energy hardship. They found uh, when they did their review that there was so much to dig down deep into and they didn't have time. So they they recommended a panel on a two-year appointment to look at the drivers of energy hardship, what the picture looks like in Aotearoa, uh, what people are experiencing, um, and identifying the top issues and, and how we could look to address them in a uniquely Aotearoa way. Could you tell us about how the panel went about its work? It wasn't so much a, you know, a few people in a room brainstorming. You did a bit more than that, a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. So we, we decided when we came together early on and, and uh, that we would really spend time, two-year appointment, we would spend the lion's share of our time talking to people out in the uh, in the industry, in the organisations, for people that, that, that are working with whānau and, and people in hardship and users, um, energy users and people who are experiencing hardship. So that really required us to engage and cons- consult, is not even the word, engage in a really different way so that we allowed the voices to come through uh, in the way that they wanted to bring them through, so it wasn't daunting. It wasn't. It wasn't always formal. Of course, we had the um, uh, written submissions. We didn't have a formal oral submission phase. We went out and uh, went around the country, listened to groups, listened to iwi, and um, brought that information back in. So it was iterative. So we were, and, and at the same time, we were commissioning work in the background what's happening around the different jurisdictions in the energy hardship space overseas, what does that look like, could we do it here, and what were the special factors that, that we had that, that made us 
uh, impacted us more in energy hardship factors. So we um, we did a first shift, talked to experts, organisations, what does energy hardship look like to them, brought it back in, came up with, uh, we were particularly focused on the outcomes that we wanted to achieve, but at the heart of it, we all uh, collectively agreed that we would keep our outcomes focused on all Tamariki children and whanau should live in a safe, dry home and have the be able to access and afford the energy they need to uh, heat that home. So we contained it to the home because, of course, there's energy hardships all over the place, petrol and so forth. Ours was contained to the home and contained to children and, and families and whanau. So... Um uh, for a, a, a quick meeting with the new minister who's coming in and you're looking to, um, on the elevator ride up yeah. to the seventh or the ninth floor or wherever uh, of the Beehive, um, what would you say to the new minister that you learned from the report and what mm. you think might really make a difference? Mm. Um, if I was meeting with the new minister and really look forward to that, I would uh, talk about the collective outcomes that we all want, we all want, we mutually all want children and and families in Aotearoa to be able to thrive, to take responsibility, to be able to engage and succeed like any whānau equally. And uh, there are factors within the energy space that really need to be looked at in order to achieve those outcomes. There's a really strong focus on social investment frameworks this is around investing in the the families who are in energy hardship. That is the affordability and the easily accessing it. But most of all, it is we've all talked about a lot the housing, um, being able to have children attend school and not be in hospital, and that means they need to be in a safe, you know, in, in a a home that is hasn't got black mould that causes all of those um, those admissions into hospital in winter uh, we can we I, we talk to pediatricians in winter it just uh, really blows up and a lot of them are around respiratory the issues that we know overcrowding we know that they're overcrowding now because their fear of being made homeless so um, that's really good investments so could you tell us about this relationship between energy poverty and housing poverty because, in a way, it's quite hard to pull them apart. It really is. So uh, when we started, we set set those outcomes and then we took a bit of time understanding the landscape of Aotearoa. What does energy hardship look like? And uh, it was uh, struggling to afford it, struggling to access it for many if they were uh, on uh, head debt they often couldn't access it they were only allowed to have prepay um it it looked like being in in homes there where uh no matter what they did that they couldn't control the outcome because their houses houses were damped so that was the the landscape and so we put it into uh we termed it kitty we put them in separate kitty so that we could contain the conversation and if we had a size of kitty, we had leadership, we had data, we had access, affordability, 
But if we were to put them in sizes, um, the housing blew. It was the biggest. We shouldn't be surprised, but it really took a lot of our time. And the reason that happened was there was there is uh, there's been a lot of progress made by both governments with. Um, retrofitting houses, getting them up to standards. So really congratulate the governments. Both governments have done it on on having that focus. But there is a group that are not uh, uh, getting their houses up to standard and the compliance and enforcement around that is minimal. And it's really hard to get past the housing situation uh, talking about energy so they can access it and afford it but if they were in a house that was leaking and it was damp their power bills were exorbitant and they were often still not supplying the heat required to keep a child or uh, an adult uh, healthy because their house was just sucking it up and they were you know it had a term of heating the stars so could you give us a sense of the scale of the issue here? We know that there's about 600,000 households who are renting in Aotearoa, mm-hmm. and we know that the, uh, about 160,000 of them or so, actually it's more like 80,000, mm-hmm. about 80,000 are in um, state houses or social houses, the rest are private rentals. Um, how much? Uh, how how many of those households, if you like, are in in trouble, really struggling, not just with being able to afford the power, but that um, even if they can, it's not heating the house. So you've got a damp, cold house. Mm. What sort of numbers do you think we're talking about here? Well. Bernard, when we went into it, the the research had, had estimated at, a, at around a hundred thousand people in Aotearoa are living in energy hardship. As we traverse that, those stats have been around for a wee while now. You know, energy price review was prior to COVID, um, so things have changed in a. And it was prior to the house market going in in, in the crazy ways that it's gone. So that was really uh, the the dynamic way that that, uh, everything changed, COVID, housing market. While we couldn't get actual, we really struggled to get actual figures, um, we would at least double that, at very least. COVID required that that people uh, lost rentals, but also we've got homelessness. We know the... We know the shape of homelessness. We know what it looks like. What we're not so clear on is the people who are in those really vulnerable rentals that uh, at, at, at any moment they could lose that rental. They can they live in absolute fear of losing a rental. So any balance of conversation, that any balance of power is not there because the, the fear is so strong of uh, becoming homeless and then chances that their children will be taken out of the school, which is their community, to be in a, in a hotel or somewhere, they will hold on to that rental at all costs and, and often there's a lot more families in the rentals than, than what's known. 
Um, and that's a, a force of having to be able to look after families from not being homeless. So there's a very big group there that are living in situations that we would we would not consider healthy, overcrowding, but the quality of the homes are not of a standard that are that are safe. Uh, what we struggled with was to get actual numbers there. We know that there's um, uh, a number in, in Kainga order, um, but the waiting list, uh, I think it's around 168,000, uh, no, 160,000 around, I'll get that, uh, in, in Kainga order, including children. Um, well, that's more than the 100,000 who are in hardship you know, that was estimated. And then the, the group of people are homeless is another big number. So the numbers are really needs another uh, deep dive on, on getting that data. And um, we've got the situation there, therefore, where people um, perhaps can't afford the rent, um, are mm. reluctant to ask the landlord to, you know, install the heat pump or um, insulate the yep. home. They may have some bad credit issues that mean that um, they mm. can't get a um, postpaid account with one of yep. the, the retailers. Yep. Um, what what sort of uh, uh, what sort of costs and problems spill out of that situation because there'd be some people who say oh we can't afford to be you know heating these uh, these people's homes there's just not enough money around um but obviously when you're not having those homes heated the kids are getting sick they're going to hospital that's a thousand dollars a night I mean, if you looked at it in a purely financial sense, which which we shouldn't, but it is, you know, for those people who say it's all about the money, (laughs) well, okay, let's look at the money. Um, Your report's done some really interesting, uh, uh, not not, um, primary research, but pulling together a lot of the research that's around about, you know, the cost of inaction, the cost of, of, of just simply allowing tens of thousands of kids to get sick and go to hospital every year. Primarily, um, primarily, Bernard, the cost is generations of not being able to to uh, live uh, a balanced and, and equal life, be able just to, you know, go to work, put food on the table, pay the bills, and the kids go to school, and, and really wish the best for your, you know, you hope that your children will achieve the things everybody everybody wants. Uh, with energy hardship, the amount of children who are unable to go to school uh, because they're in hospital is in the is in the millions. Uh, unable to to achieve, not engaging in all of the factors that provide connection to being able to engage in their community, which is play sport, uh, be able to um, have people over home. Have, we meet a lot of families who, who they're not doing any of those things. They're not having people over, often because the powers um, they they can't afford the power, or they can't, or the power is is off. Prepay is another whole factor uh, that's not quantified. Prepay is not quantified, so the the hospital ad- admissions, the uh, falling out of work that that was uh, another factor that we we found 
are strong, so they were losing their jobs because of the illness of their children. Particularly, there there was there's a set of children who once they're in uh, houses that have had the mould and the black mould and the uh, respiratory, particularly pneumonia, which just stays around for a couple of years. It just converges into uh, poor outcomes, so that they're not just able to get on with life and and not want to be reliant on other people to uh, get by um, in life. But also the cost, there's a big cost around the organisations that end up having to work with them as well. And these are families that wouldn't normally need them at all. These are working families, but they've been unable, they're just getting by. But with uh, the heating, the high power bills because the houses are poor, they're paying more than you and I would be paying for heating bills because they're simply trying to get the get it up to a standard that really hard to achieve in a poor quality home. So uh, yeah, it, it's in it's in the millions, um, Bernard. But I think more importantly, it's our our social outcomes and, and where we want to best invest our our uh, few dollars that we've got. Uh, dollar to dollar, uh, um, I think I've got it in here. Um, I was just going over it again. That it's around one to twelve dollars, I think it was, that of investment because of the education outcomes, the health outcomes, the social outcomes, the activity outcomes. So what you're saying is, sport, yeah. so a dollar of investment in things like uh, healthy homes or insulation. Um, returns 11 or $12 yeah. in um, better outcomes, lower yes. health costs, lower yes. justice costs, education yeah. costs, whatever, yeah. 1 to 11. Yeah. So um, let's say you, you can go to a new minister and say, hey, um, I can give you $10 of free money, if you like. Mm-hmm. If you spend the $1, I'm going to save you save you 10 or $11. Yeah. What do you say to the new minister who's, who's, you know, in theory is all about saving money? I would say to the minister that uh, I'm sure he would want houses to be of a standard that are healthy and investing those dollars in in uh, education to landlords and, if necessary, compliance to landlords because we can't have babies sleeping in houses where there's mould and water running down the walls and uh, there's leaking leaking homes. Nobody wants that. And it's fixable. So what sort of things could um, lots of people do, including the government? In terms of housing, it's supporting um, the uh, healthy home standards. That's the basics. If we get the basics right across Aotearoa, and we have made big strides, I really want to say a lot of work's done. If we do the basics of getting all our homes in Aotearoa up to that standard, the health outcomes rise immediately. That that's an immediate outcome. So uh, pedal to the metal, keep going on ensuring that that landlords in their business keep those houses of a minimum standard. Uh, so so that um, there's the other side equally um, burned around the access and choice for people to access and it be a choice, and it be affordable. Those things are 
there's a few things in place, uh, getting the rule book to the energy providers, taking it from voluntary to mandatory, reporting now on prepay. We, we didn't know how many are on prepay. We don't know how, how many are self-disconnecting for how long. We, we couldn't get that data. We didn't have that data. And we... Why, why wouldn't the gentailers know exactly who their customers are, when they disconnect, how long they're there for, whether I'm they're sure on they prepay? Do. I'm sure they do. Uh, so I'm sure why don't they do. report it? Uh, because at, at the moment, the consumer care guidelines, which were created as, as a result of the um, energy price review, really great start, commend that, are voluntary. So uh, they're not mandatory and uh, they need some, some, some rules around prepay because that's an area we can't be in Aotearoa and not know that somebody has self-disconnected for six months. We, so, we shouldn't be in that position where, where that happens. And we heard stories of people self-disconnecting, not telling anybody, so no one knows. It might be a teacher finds out by chance that the power's disconnected. We, we heard those stories, and we need to understand that. We need to understand disconnections. And it, uh, in postpay, uh, there's, a, there's a reduction there's a decrease in uh, disconnections. That's great, but we need to self disconnection is a is a disconnection all the same. And uh, so it sounds like we need to make that that those consumer care uh, guideline guidelines mandatory. That's one thing. Yes. Um, what are the other things that that could make a difference uh, uh, quickly? And putting aside, you know, the whole issue of. We probably need another half a million properly renovated and and or built uh, warm, dry homes. But from an electricity point of view, what what could the industry and the regulators and the government do to help uh, ease the burden of you know problems with credit, um, mm. problems with costs, those sorts of things? Yeah, well, talk, talking about it from, from a, a, a family's point of view, um, if they're on post-pay and they get disconnected, uh, the joined-up approach with, with MSD and the energy providers. So it's it's clunky at the moment. Uh, with MSD, uh, food is considered an emergency issue, so it needs to get responded to immediately, as, as it should. Uh, we say that energy hardship should be emergency too, so it's responded it's not, to. It's not now. No, they've got up to three days to respond to to energy when when there's an energy issue. Um, we've got people in kind order homes. We we looked into, and it happens in jurisdictions, Bernard. So it's not hard, other jurisdictions bulk deals. Um, we have put forward that kind order who are it's. As you know, amazingly hard to get into a kind order home now. You homelessness on its own will not get you in there. there. There's got to be other health issues, mental health issues, domestic violence. Very hard to get into, and we know that because the list is so long. Um, consider with kind order, we have recommended that a bulk deal for all kind order um, customers. It's done here. Grey Power, we do it. Um, 
we put that forward. Energy um, providers were very open to that. They, they were open to that. Um, not so much with uh, the, the, the there were uh, concerns with with um, agencies of how it could operate, but bulk deals is an option. Um, the guidelines also getting support in understanding what a blooming bill means. People are not able to compare. Um, we need to get people on the best bill for their home. Consumer New Zealand have done a ton of work on this. Um, there's some now that are doing a yearly, some people are getting a yearly text, are you on the best bill? We think you could be on better. We say do that for everybody. That's one that for everybody and that would really help because people do not understand their accounts. I struggle to understand mine, so it's a, it's a, a, it's a thing. It's a thing. And so... Um uh, there's a few things that can be done there, but on the whole um, way that the industry operates and what's hap- happened with prices um, uh, and the profits of the um, big gin tailors, what's mm. what's your view on you know whether aside from the issues on mm. you know insulation, on access to credit, yep. on disconnections, and all of those things, what what do you think should be done to actually just lower the actual price of the electricity and also the price of the lines charges and things? The one of the, the there's so many in that, Bernard, um, but one of the key ones is getting some transparency with the uh, and understanding the structure between the gentailers for their generators to retailers to transmissions, understanding that more because we need to, the biggest change that could happen in communities is the community energy providers entering the space. They struggle. They struggle in this environment. Um, They can add a lot to the market. And Nomaira is a good example. They are a community, they're an energy provider, who uh, does a wraparound service with their clients. They really make a difference for many families. They struggle. They are reliant on the big ones uh, to get hedges, and the system now is not allowing smaller players to get the independent retailers. That would help uh, bring a level of competition to the market that's not it's not there at the moment, and understanding the charges that the it's not easily accessible to understand what the charges are between the generators and in the retailers for themselves. Yeah, that would make a, a, a big difference. And the other big difference is re- the community energy space and the renewable energy and. Um, encouraging more different types of energy that would help um, just bring a lot more competition that we desperately need in the, in this market that would, uh, of course, we know, lower the um, prices. That needs a more, in, in, in our view, that needs more work, whether it be the uh, Commerce Commission, that needs to, to be uh, uh, looked at by a, another panel. 
And um, the other aspect is the uh, energy meters, which are not necessarily there, um, and the ability to to make sure that people um, uh, have access to en- energy um, in lots of different ways. Yes, well, the smart meter rollout is it needs to carry on because there's a lot more people can can control. Uh, not control, well, not control, but understand their their usage, and also if they've got heat leaking, they can understand that a bit more too. Mm. And just um, just finally, um, uh, what were some of the surprises that you uh, found in doing the research for this, talking to people? What were the things that 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 really stuck with you? Uh, Bernard, I've worked in, in, in um, homelessness space and I'm on Urban Plus where we change building for the market to only building for social housing and building partnerships to provide more social housing to chips and quickly. So there's a lot of work that's being done, particularly in the homelessness space. What really struck me is the amount of families that are living in, in such fear and they are living for lot periods of time with no power and the isolation of it all, the isolation oh, of people yeah. and children going to school and coming home to a house where they can't cook, they can't have a warm shower and the shock for me is that it's quite hidden. You know, we, we've spent time visualising, getting people to understand the shape of homelessness. We really need to understand in the rental market particularly uh, where people are just not getting by because the rents in Wellington and in the main centres, the rents are around $600 and people on minimum wage is just not covering it. So when they, they, they portion up their rent, their petrol to get to work or their bus fare, their food that's gone exorbitant, you and I would struggle with our groceries at the moment. You can only imagine when people are really robbing Peter to pay Paul, energy ends up by by having a roof over your head, having food in your tummy. The third thing is having the power on is not always happening and that people are, are, are living in a fear of losing a home, they're having to put up with these situations that were quite frankly heartbreaking. We 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 in, in, we had Helen Leahy who 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 Amanda Dunlop Lanula, Kay Brereton, beneficiary advocate. We were shocked. We were all shocked at some of the stories we heard. They they are really desperate. Uh, but they're fixable. We can fix them. So, but we have to want to be able to. We talk a lot about people uh, just taking responsibility. These every family we've met take full, just want to take full responsibility. But it became very uncontrollable when their children got sick, or they were on uh, some some are on casualised work. The pay didn't cover when they're on five, $600 rents, didn't cover the, the fallover. Uh, we can fix this. We, the, the, there's, there's recommendations in there around getting the housing up to standard. 
getting shining a light over our electricity system and letting the small players in who want to work with these people, who really want to make a change, we can do it, but we have to really want to do it and collectively buy into that. Thank you very much um, there. Uh, and I'll put a link to the full report um in the show, in the show notes that go out with this, Kerry Brown, the chair of the Energy Hardship Expert Panel, thank you very much for being on the Kaka. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you for having me.